0: Good morning, City Church. My name is Corey Kimbrell, and I serve on the prayer and communion, guest services, and Love Tulsa teams. This morning, we're reading from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Then Herod called the magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house... They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Amen. Thank you, Corey. How are we doing, City Church? You look good. It's been a while since I've been up here. Good to see you again. Let me say this to you big thanks to you uh, this last Wednesday night. Uh, We kind of wrapped our arms around Marshall Elementary, which is right behind our building here. So many of you gave gifts, uh, you gave your time, you gave your finances. Uh, It's not just about giving gifts, it's about us blessing those families, just loving them really well. Uh, They came in, we had uh, pictures with Santa, we do a a whole dinner together, we have a place where kids go make uh, gifts and crafts for their parents while the parents are picking out gifts for the kids uh, so we can empower the parents and love them well. Just want to say a big thank you for all of you for stepping up to do this. It's such a a beautiful thing that we get to do every year uh, to love some people in our community. So thank you for that. We are in the middle of this Advent journey. How many know Advent is a time of waiting? How many of you love to wait? Come on now. Anybody, you're just like, yes, I'm all about it, Pastor. In a world that rejects any, any form of waiting, the Christian faith is a posture of waiting, isn't it? We're constantly in a posture of waiting, that Christ has come, but that Christ will come again. But how many know it's how we wait? It's how we wait. You can wait a lot of different ways, you know that? You can wait aimlessly. A lot of people wait aimlessly. They wait with like they have no purpose and no really direction in their life. How many know you can wait anxiously? You ever been there? Where you're just always worried, you're trying to control the outcomes and this or that, you have zero control. Just just go ahead and get that in your mind now. You can wait begrudgingly, which is what a lot of us, even myself, have a tendency to do sometimes when I have to wait. I don't wanna be here. I shouldn't have to wait for anything. Isn't that why we have technology nowadays so we don't have to wait on anything ever? Or how many know you can wait joyfully? Advent is positioning us in this place where we're learning to wait with hope and peace and joy. We're waiting with God, for God, as he comes. And we don't just jump to the Christmas story and celebrate it because how many know the waiting builds anticipation for what we're waiting on, what we're waiting for? If you're taking notes and following along uh, with me, here's what I've learned. What you're waiting for determines how you wait. Isn't that the truth? The object of what you're waiting for will determine how you wait. And if you don't believe me, have you ever been to like the tag agency or the DMV and had to wait? You ever been there? Like you walk in and you take a number and you sit down among a mass of people and has anybody ever seen the movie Zootopia? You ever seen that movie? Where they go to the DMV and a sloth is working behind the desk? I think of that movie every time I walk in there because you're in a hurry but ain't nobody else in a hurry (laughs) that works there. And it's hard to wait with joy. You ever been to like Disney World? Silver Dollar City, Six Flags, you name it. There will people who will gladly wait with 18 kids for two hours And they're like full of joy. They'll wait for two hours on a ride because how many know what you're waiting for determines how you wait? I think sometimes as followers of Jesus, we forget what we're waiting for. Like we forget how we're postured to wait. Like what we're waiting for is so amazing and so good and so true that we will gladly endure the present trials because this is so great. Like you can walk through life and with joy, even if circumstances aren't ideal, because what you're waiting for is worth it, amen? Advent orients are waiting, how we wait. Our theme for this Advent season has been uh, to make room, to make room in our cluttered lives, right? To make room because we accumulate so many things in our souls and our hearts and it's just natural. I mean, we we accumulate the stress of life and the financial pressures and the things of the holidays and the holidays are great, but some of you are walking into relationship dynamics and family dynamics that are less than great. Some of you are under the strain and pressure of like, I want to get the people that I love great gifts, I also don't want to go in debt doing it, you know, and all of the travel and all the things that we just consume, the stress of life, and, and your heart and your soul gets so full that you can go through an Advent Christmas season and you never even make room for what it's really about. Like in my mind, I imagine like Mary and Joseph walking through Bethlehem, going door to door, looking for a place to stay. This is one of the most significant moments in human history. Do you know most of the people in Bethlehem missed it? They didn't recognize what was right in front of them. How I many know it's easy to miss it? It's easy to miss it. You just get in survival mode. I'm just trying to make it. What does it look like to clutter our hearts and souls? Anybody have that place in your home uh, that no matter how much you clean it, it it's right back to being a crazy mess in like two, two minutes? Anybody got that spot? If you have kids in the room, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, I didn't ask my wife this, but I'm sure she would probably say our laundry room. Like when you walk in from the garage, it's just the place where our kids stop and they take off their shoes and their bags and their lunch boxes. And anything that doesn't have a place, I don't know where this goes. It goes on this little bitty countertop in our laundry room. And I'm talking about you can clean it in like two days. It's like, what happened in this place? We have six people in our house. For me, it's the garage. I would be embarrassed if you saw my garage right now. I would be embarrassed. I was gonna show you a picture of it, but I couldn't even do it. I couldn't do it. Like the shame, the deep, deep shame that I that felt in my soul. I'm like, I can't. I thought about snapping a picture yesterday and I was like, nope. <laughs> so just, just imagine, imagine. I love it to be an organized, but how many know years of like birthdays and Christmas, it comes every year and our kids get older and they accumulate more stuff and we're not purging at the same weight that we're accumulating. And so what happens over the years is like, I can organize this thing and in like a day, there are basketballs and scooters and bikes and sports equipment everywhere. And I've got this little rack on on the wall that I kind of built to try to organize things to hold our basketballs because three of our four kids play basketball. It's got nine basketballs, I counted yesterday, nine in it. Most of them don't even air up anymore. Half of them have holes. Why do we even have them? I don't know. You accumulate so many things in life. And I think stopping and saying, man, not only do I need to declutter and maybe clean out some, some areas in my house, but I need, I need to clean this to make room for what God wants to do. And I even think in the busyness of Advent season, it's what we do. We stop and we just, we sit and we wait with God and we're like, God, what do you wanna do? God, what are you speaking? I think we can lose the power of the Christmas story if we don't sit in the darkness for a little while. Some of you who have been to our Christmas service, if you come next weekend, we start by sitting in the darkness because if you don't sit in the darkness for a minute, you can't appreciate the light. If you're not with Israel in the Old Testament, you can't appreciate the Messiah. You don't get the gravity of Jesus coming. Like you you imagine how dark it was. The people of God were in exile. They were crying out for deliverance and yet here they are. God, would you please come and show up then there's 400 years between Old Testament and New Testament, intertestamental middle, middle period, where guess what? God is still there, but he's seemingly silent. And there's no prophets. There's no overt words from God. And they're just, the generations are rising up and passing away, and they're not seeing anything. And every generation begins to cry out, God, would you show up? But how many know when you wait for hundreds and hundreds of years, your ex- expectation begins to kind of go like this? Now they're crying out for God to move. We're occupied by this Roman army. It's not our own land. God, we need you to move to show up. We need deliverance. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. And In the middle of this seemingly silent moment, God does show up. We get these birth narratives of Jesus and we get that these magi come from the east to Jerusalem and they, they come to Herod and they said, we've been following the stars. Now I don't know how much we, we know this story many times if you grew up in the church of the magi, the wise men, But often we don't really dive into their lives. Magi were known by being men of incredible wisdom. They had this gift of some kind of wisdom. These magi seemed to be astrologers. They were gifted at looking at constellations and stars and comets. In their understanding of the world, they would look at the appearance and the disappearance of stars and comets and all of these things. And they would interpret those things that a great monarch or king has either been born or died. Now, I find this extremely interesting. You may not think this is nearly as interesting, but isn't it cool how God shows up in this moment exactly in their understanding of how they see the world? Like, Matthew and Luke are not, not trying to justify why astrology is, is the way, right? That's not what they're doing. But they show up to these magi, and God moves to their own understanding of how they see the world, and they begin to follow this star. They leave their homes And they begin to go follow what they're not even certain what it is, but they believe that this star, in their understanding of the world, means somebody great has been or is about to be born. And it's so great that we have to leave home to go find out what's happening And they go to Jerusalem and they meet King Herod and they tell King Herod, hey, we're here because we hear this word that this great Messiah, this great baby is going to be born that's gonna redeem the world. And it says this in the text that we just read. It said, when Herod heard this, he was disturbed. There are times where our English translations of the scripture just don't do it justice, right? We have to go back to the original text. Disturbed sounds like Herod was a little bit ticked. But how many know he was much more than ticked off? A better translation for us would be that Herod was terrified. Herod was in great emotional turmoil. Herod was overcome with fear. Why? Because Herod was an Edomite, he wasn't even a Jew. He had been put into position by the Roman army who was occupying most of the known world. And so when Herod hears that there's a a, a Messiah coming from the lineage of David, someone who is a rightful heir to the throne, that's a direct attack on his throne. If you know anything about kings and emperors for thousands of years, how many know they spent their whole life paranoid that someone was going to take their throne? Paranoid that somebody was gonna come take their power. I mean, you can study emperors. Some of the weirdest people who ever lived were emperors who literally, they would, they would get this idea in their head that someone's trying to take my throne and they would wipe out their family just to make sure. I mean, that's how crazy they were. And Herod's now paranoid. Well, maybe somebody's gonna come and take my throne. So, so what does he do? He calls together the experts of religion, experts of the law, the chief priests, all of these people. And he says, okay, you tell me where does scripture say this Messiah is gonna be born? Now, this wasn't a secret. Old Testament prophecy was clear. They're like, Bethlehem. It's gonna be in Bethlehem. Isn't it, again, I find this interesting that all of these religious leaders and scholars, they had knowledge, but they didn't have understanding. Like they don't join the Magi in seeking out the Messiah. They could have. No, they saw this Messiah as a threat to their own plans, to their own power. They're not welcoming the greatest moment in human history. They are opposed to it because guess what? We have power and we don't want anybody to take it from us. If you're taking notes and following along, when power is our objective, how many know we will always respond in fear? We will always respond in fear. If you've been around City Church, you know Pastor Matt does this quite often. But it's always a reminder, we do not put our hope in leaders, presidents, politics, anybody. We are people primarily, our citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. Now I tell you to vote, be involved in politics, vote your conscience, vote biblical values. But how many know there is never a political party that will perfectly fit within the kingdom of God? And every four years, you know what we do? We're about to enter into a year. We go through a political cycle where people begin to put their hope in politics. You know why you don't put your hope in politics? Because kings and kingdoms and leaders and presidents rise and fall. They will come and go. And when you feel like power is slipping away, you become hopeless. No, how do we even move, how do we move forward? Like no, this was our hope. This person, this president, this policy. No, your hope is Christ and eternity with Him. Amen. When power is our objective, we'll always respond in fear. And you even look at these leaders in Herod and they feel like power is slipping from their grasp. So what are we gonna do? We're gonna make sure. We're gonna send people to Bethlehem to kill all of the the baby boys in this age range just to make sure that nobody rises up in power. Matthew chapter two, verse nine. We just read this, but I'm gonna read it again. After they, the magi, the wise men, Had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were, say it with me, when they saw it, they were they were overjoyed. You know what's crazy about this story? The people who should be excited and overjoyed aren't. The outsiders, the people who have no reason to even be here, see the star, recognize it for what it is, and the response is joy. When power is our objective, we're always gonna respond in fear. But when the hope of Christ is our aim, how do we respond? With joy and worship. With joy and worship. This is actually a theme in the Gospel of Matthew. For Matthew, joy is the appropriate response to the kingdom of God. This is how people, when they find God's kingdom, when they find what Jesus has done for them, always in the Gospel of Matthew, it's joy and worship. Because there's this realization of like, man, I was living in sin and death. I had no future. I was bound by my own sin, hopeless, without freedom. But now because of Jesus, everything is different. I'm not bound by sin and death. I have a future. I have hope. Like, this is not it. Like, if you're in the room and you're aging and you're getting closer to death, guess what? You are getting closer to the incredible, endless joy that you're going to experience with Jesus. Amen? Like, that's the reality of your life. We don't move towards greater lengths of despair. We move, move more closer to Christ and greater joy as we get older. That's because Christ has come. That's because the kingdom is here. Because joy is our response The Christmas story turns everything on its head. It it turns the world's definition of power upside down. This is so hard for people to understand nowadays. And this is is one of those areas of conflict in the church where some of the church kind of get in bed with power and politics and just want, want the kingdom of God to go along with it. But if you read the gospels, you dive into the life of Jesus, You know the two groups of people who have the hardest time entering the kingdom of God? Those with power and those who are wealthy. Why? Because we make those idols, don't we? We wanna grab onto them, because our world says the definition of success is get status and get money. You got those two things, nobody can touch you. But guess what, when you have those two things, you begin to cling on them so tightly you don't ever wanna let them go. And they become your God. Man, why is it hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Because what are you putting your trust in? For Matthew, joy is the response to the kingdom of God. Jesus isn't born into public recognition. He's not born into some throne room. Isn't this crazy about the Christmas story? Like you are God. Let's, let's just say you're God for a minute. This is the only time I'm gonna ask you to do this, okay? <laughs> not, not a good routine to do. You're the most powerful. You're the all-powerful, most high. How do you enter the world? Do you enter the most vulnerable way possible? Helpless as a child? Nobody writes that story. Nobody, nobody would make that up, would they? Jesus isn't met by the spiritual insiders, the teachers of the law, the chief priests. He's met by the outsiders, the Magi. The insiders are clinging to positions and power and prestige while the outsiders humble themselves. Not clenched fists, but open palms saying, we're here to seek, to worship. What can we learn from the Magi? Number one, they came seeking the Messiah. They were seekers. How many know we're called to seek Christ continually in our life? Not with clenched fists, but with open palms. God, what are you trying to do? What do you wanna speak? God, I don't have this figured out. I'm not clinging on to power and position and wealth. God, I'm here to find you. Number two, they held on to hope. These wise men held on to hope. I would never really thought about this, but most scholars believe these wise men had been on a journey for years. They left their homes in the, in the Far East, probably Persian descent, and they left and they began to, to seek out who Jesus was and this Messiah. And finally, when they see this star over Bethlehem, you know why they respond in joy? Because they left on this journey of faith years before. How many know when you've been seeking one thing for many years and you kind of finally you're gonna throw a party, aren't you? They held on to hope. Numbers three, they responded with joy. They responded with joy. When you get a revelation of who Christ is and what he's done with your life, can I tell you your response will be joy? Can I do some pastoral challenge this morning as somebody who loves you? Some of you, when you come to church, you just need to remind your face sometimes that you've been set free and redeemed. Come on now. There's there's just sometimes I'm just like, man, I see you and it's just like, you know, you don't even lift your hands. It's more like this, right? And I'm just like, man, you've been set free, redeemed, bought with a price. It's okay to tell your face. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I've seen how you respond to the Chiefs game and the Bills and the Cowboys. Come on now, I'll step on your toes. They're only gonna let you down, I promise. I've been a Cowboys fan my whole life. They will disappoint you. He won't, come on now. That's worth shouting for right there. They responded with joy, with joy. Number four, they acted in obedience. Simple act of obedience. Obedience. God comes to them in a dream and says, don't return to Herod. And these outsiders, they listen and they respond in obedience. How many know our life is really made up of small acts of obedience? You're not called to do great things. You're called to be obedient. Let that set you free. You don't need to go na- make a name for yourself. What's my next yes? Yes. We do the advent calendar as a family and every night we pull out a little drawer and we read something. Last night was about the life of Joseph and I think Pastor Jim or Rachel did a great job. I can't remember, they're all mixed together. But they did a great job of talking about Joseph as just small acts of obedience, wasn't it? He never did anything great. In fact, from what we know of Joseph, he didn't live very long. But every response to something difficult, and we talked about this with our kids last night, every time Joseph was met with a situation, he responded in obedience. (laughs) Mary's pregnant. I don't even know if I'm the father, the angel comes, he acts in obedience. I want you to take your family and I, I want you to move because Herod's trying, he acted in obedience. How many of Joseph's legacy was small acts of obedience? And yet was it great? I'd say so. Number five, what'd the Magi do? They gave extravagantly. They gave extravagantly. See, this is what happens when you encounter Christ. When you genuinely encounter Christ in your life, let me tell you what will overflow in you, extravagant generosity. I'm not just talking about giving to the church. I'm not trying to use this for you to give more. What I'm saying is you begin to live your life not about what I receive, but how can I give? You begin to manage your finances and become a steward in such a way because when you, in, when you encounter people along the road or at work and they're, they're met with a situation that they don't know how to get through it financially, guess what, you can be like, I can step in and I can be extravagantly generous. That's what the Magi do here. They bring these extravagant gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I don't have to explain to you why gold is a great gift, do I? It's still a great gift. If somebody came to me and they're like, Pastor, I didn't know your shoe size. Here's a brick of gold. I'm like, yep, yeah. That'll always do it, you know? You never have to wonder what to get me, a brick of gold. (laughs) Actually, I think it would have been a weird scenario because from what we know from Mary of Joseph, they didn't have much. Joseph a carpenter, they're moving around. And they bring these extravagant gifts. I mean, frankincense and myrrh were exotic gifts so they would like pull the rosin out of these trees in exotic places and, and, and bring them together and they were used ceremonially and weddings and all kinds of medicinally and all these things. Can you imagine like getting this gift and you're like, well, that's worth more than my car, you know? <laughs> this is worth more than my house. I don't know how they used it. I know they were refugees after that, so maybe they used it to live off of, but it was extravagant. It was extravagant gifts that these outsiders came and gave Jesus. But how we know that our response to the kingdom of God should be extravagant. Our response to the kingdom? Here's everything. My life, my time, my resources, they're yours. Matthew's gonna tell a story a few chapters later about this guy who's walking through a field and he finds this incredible treasure. You guys remember what the guy does? He goes and sells everything he owns, buys the field for the treasure. You know why Jesus tells that story? Because he's saying that's your response to the kingdom of God. Everything. Your life, your time, your resources. Everything that I have. These outsiders, these Persians, these spiritual seekers become a picture for us in the Bible of faith, of obedience, and of joy, amen? The most unlikely people become a picture. The people who should be a picture, the religious insiders, they miss it because they're holding on to power. And these outsiders respond in worship and joy. Let me ask us this, this question this morning as we wrap this up. How can I cultivate joy in this present moment? How can you cultivate joy? Man, what's, what right now is keeping you from a life of joy? Is it circumstances? Because if it is, you've got to get your eyes off the circumstances. What's keeping you from joy? If you are a follower of Jesus, I'm not telling you life's going to go all according to plan. But in every moment of your life, you have a reason to celebrate. In every moment, you have reason to celebrate Maybe this morning you need to get your eyes off the problem. Maybe you need to reorient your heart towards him. Could it be giving extravagantly to love and serve others instead of receiving? Maybe you get your eyes off what you need, and over the next several days and weeks and months, you begin to look and say, man, how can I give my life away? If you would this morning, I want you stand to stand your feet with me across this room. I wanna end with this passage of scripture from the book of Philippians. But you can read scripture sometimes and you can just kinda like read it but not really take it in. Even if you've heard this passage 100 times, I I want you to listen to it. Listen to what Paul is telling the church. It's extremely practical. How can we implement this in a practical way? Philippians 4, verse 4. Paul says rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all because how many know the Lord is near? Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, look at this one, this is big, with thanksgiving present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. But he doesn't stop there. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the peace of God will be with you. Paul's not saying like, oh, just pray a prayer and you're fine, you're good. He says, no, you have to, in your head and in your heart, you have to rejoice. How many of sometimes you have to posture yourself, you take yourself by the face, you point yourself in the direction you need to go and you're saying, I'm gonna rejoice when I don't feel like it. I'm gonna rejoice. I'm gonna have joy. I don't feel like having joy right now, but it's not about how I feel. It's about who God is and what he's done. I'm not led by my emotions. That's why Paul says, you wanna have joy? You want peace? You begin to take control of your thoughts. There's not a situation you're facing right now in this moment that God is not in control of, that God's not in the middle of, amen? He's with you. Rest in him. For you who are worried or anxious about the future, let me tell you, in the book of Matthew, here's what Jesus tells us, that Jesus does not give us the grace today that we're gonna need tomorrow. He says, tomorrow, guess what God's gonna give you? The grace you need tomorrow. For anything that's gonna come your way. You know what he does promise us? The grace we need for today. So when you worry about tomorrow, you're robbing yourself of the grace that God has given you today. You're letting worry and fear and anxiety rob you of what you cannot control you've never been in control, you never will be in control, you might as well rest in him, amen? And his promises and his goodness. We are responsible for orienting our hearts and minds towards joy. On this Advent journey, we started with hope. The room was dark, the time in Israel was dark, and we lit a candle of hope. Last week we moved to peace in a world of chaos. How many know it's chaos today? It was chaos 2,000 years ago. There will always be brokenness and chaos, but God steps in the middle of our chaos with peace. Today we light the candle of joy. No matter your circumstances, Christ calls us to live a life of joy in Him. This coming Saturday night and next Sunday morning, we will light the candle of love. And not only me, but all of us. How many know for 13 years we weren't allowed to light candles down the street at the Tulsa Ballet? We're gonna light some candles up in this place. (laughs) Without getting wax everywhere. We're gonna light candles. We're gonna collectively light the candle of joy. It's gonna be an incredible time together. As we prepare our hearts to come to the table this morning, why don't you just close your eyes right where you're at and allow the joy of Christ to come into your heart today. And whatever's blocking you from receiving joy, ask God about that right now. Holy Spirit, would you shine the spotlight of your spirit on my heart? Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Whatever the enemy has tried to magnify the problem or issue in my life, whatever he's tried to magnify, Lord, you are bigger than that. And we thank you, Lord, that we orient our hearts and our soul and our minds towards joy today, whether we feel like it or not, because you have done what we could not do. Save and rescue us. And our response is worship. Our response is thank you. Thank you for what you have done for us. If you would, just prepare your hearts to come to the table.